With us, we're lucky enough to have Pippa Greenwood. Now, Pippa, I was going to say you've been gardening for years, but that is true. I'm not trying to age you, I'm trying to be honest. Oh, but probably not as long as you, I could say back, can I? <laughs> what actually got, you know, when you look back at life, how, what got you into gardening in the first place, do you think? I was brought up, weirdly, I think now, in, in London. And we had a really very good-sized garden for London. And my mother, who was definitely my gardening mentor inspiration um would whenever she got a moment escape into the garden and do some gardening and I was one of four kids and nobody else was interested in that at all and I think to be honest I first followed her into the garden from a very small age because it was a way of getting a bit of really good one-to-one time with her but of course gardening is infectious as we all know and so very quickly I started learning things from her joining in and then oh I really think I was probably not even four when I got my first little plot at home and so that's where I started I think I started for attention actually rather than gardening (laughs) I think it's often the way you you follow somebody for a reason or because you like what you do and and from that then you ended up you know studying horticulture as it's called although I like to just think of it as gardening really but um it, which is what it is isn't it yes I mean it's it's one and the same but I guess horticulture to my mind kind of covers commercial horticulture as well as what you and I might do in our back garden so it's all those amazing people that produce those gorgeous plants that you buy in garden centers or direct from the nursery and so yes it's it's a the bigger bigger picture I think isn't it horticulture but yeah my first foray into plants really after the garden was yeah botany so um and then, then I sort of went off sideways into all the things that creep and crawl with the pest and diseases side of things. So, yes. Which you're still, you know, uh, when you're on the radio in different places, um, they always say, oh, Pippa, you know, there's a problem with this. It's creepy crawly. It's going to be Pippa that answers. Isn't that right? Certainly on Gardener's Question Time, it's still very much the the hat that I hold firmly as it were but you know obviously on on GQT we we deal with all sorts of questions and I don't just talk about pest and diseases because you know I like and enjoy and I'm involved in too many other aspects of gardening as well but yes pest and diseases it's great nobody else really seems to like talking about them. You know you're in in the media in all sorts of different places across um, radio etc radio and magazines but what was your first job in media? My first full-time permanent job was working for the RHS at Wisley as the Mm. assistant plant pathologist, as it was called. And um, the pay was worse than bad. Living in Surrey or commuting as I was from a rented house in a decrepit mini in Acton uh, was just didn't fit into the pay equation. So I first started my gardening outside of work writing career by writing answers to um, readers queries on one of the gardening magazines for the grand sum of 50 pence a letter uh, and each one had to be typed out so really it wasn't it wasn't a bargain but it was great fun I really enjoyed it and it supplemented my income and then after a bit I think the first bit of telly I did was on a program called Reflections of Gold which mm-hmm. was a program about the sort of behind the scenes side of Chelsea And I was working for the RHS on the advice desk and um, was asked to do an interview with Alan Titch the next day. 
And um, that's sort of how it started, because for some reason they then decided it'd be fun to have me with him on the gardening slot that he used to do on a, a programme called, oh gosh, what was it? Something live. Can't remember now. Um, on a Friday yeah. uh, and on the Beeb. And so I used to join him then. And that was live television, which was extraordinary because uh, I'd never done anything like it in my life before. Uh, didn't even ever, hadn't ever owned a television. So had no idea even how television worked. And there I found myself doing <laughs> doing live television. But, you know, I was talking to Alan, who is a lovely person to chat with. We were talking about plants and pests and diseases as well. So I didn't really regard it as media. I regarded it as a chat. And I think that was probably the way forward, if I'm honest. I imagine that live television is, I suppose it's a bit like live radio, except you're visual and you've got to do, you know, do more work and actions. But really it's very similar to live radio, which I always think is so exciting because you don't know what's coming at you question-wise and you have to deal with it. And it, it's similar, isn't it, in so many ways? Yes, there's an element of, oh, well, can't do anything about this, so I might as well just get on and do it. And I quite yeah. like that. There's a little sort of frisson of excitement there. It's almost out of your control, so you might as well just, yeah, just get on and do it. So, yes, that was the first thing. And then from there, it was on to Gardener's World, which was, um, I think it was on there about 18 years in the end. Um, and that overlapped with the start of Gardener's Question Time. Mm which you're still very busy doing. I still very much am. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we recorded the first real live programmes with real live audiences since lockdown, which was really exciting. We went down to Exbury. I and, heard uh, Yeah. Oh, it was so nice having real people there because lovely as the other panellists are and the little square boxes that pop up on your screen, when uh, a member of the audience's name comes up, it's not quite the same as seeing people and watching them and watching several of them together and proper interactions. So hopefully now we're, you know, that's going to be the way forward again. So let's, uh, let's look forward. We're in, uh, we're in the month of April, but I mean, really, when, when, when you look forward, the weather uh, pattern has changed dramatically. I mean, you can you can put it into a pattern, but chances are the pattern will not work next week, next month. Wouldn't you agree that, that you can't rely on any period being the same as it was, say, last year or the year before? You know, I'm not sure you ever could. I mean, I know things have become even more variable and even further ahead often because of, of this horrendous climate uh, problem that we have. But I don't think any one year is ever really the same week on week. And I think you've got to... When, when anyone ever gives you advice about what to do, you've got to also sort of have a deep look in your head and think, does this make sense for now? Uh, because each week is so very variable year on year. So you can say what's the sort of standard things people might be doing in, in early April or mid-April or whatever the month might be. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Ken. It, it varies such a lot. And I think that's why it's really important to try and sort of keep on the ball and never be too far in advance if you possibly can, just because that way you can actually see what's really happening in the garden. And, and actually it's the same logic I, I use for the veg advice system that I have on my website, where people can buy the veg plants that they would like to grow in their garden. That's mm. all very well and normal. We send them out mid-May, i.e. when they won't have been 
any chance really of being frosted and if there might be then they get advice but then I give them weekly advice and I actually write it each week so I can tell you from my experience of doing that that what I might say in or might have said in say the third week of July last year is not going to have been the same as the third week of July the previous year and certainly not as the one before so it all varies you know week on week I totally agree and of course, that's something you can see in the monthly magazines of gardening magazines that they're, they're stuck with producing material for a month, which, as you quite rightly say, is actually pretty well impossible to do in this day and age. It is. And then, you know, you also think about regional variation as well. Yes. You throw that into the mix and I guess you end up confused, but vaguely right. So, yes, there's something lovely for proper topicality, isn't there? And I mean, this this spring, I know that media have jumped on it in the last couple of days, but I mean, we've all in our own gardens been watching frosts against that early warm spell, bringing on lots of fruit blossom. And then, of course, along comes the cold weather. And if you're not protecting, you lose your fruit, don't you? Exactly. And it's so easy for that to happen or whether it's fruit or whether it's people going to a garden centre and falling in love with a plant that's perhaps a little bit tender, putting it into the garden without it being properly hardened off and then seeing it knock for six. And it's it's soul-destroying, isn't it? So I think, yes, you've got to be cautious and think about it a bit like anything, anything living. You know, if you think about, a, I don't know, a young baby, which most people have had some experience of, even if they haven't got their own, they've seen somebody else's. It's young, it's very tender, it's not toughened up for life. And the last thing you would do is take it from a warm house and shove it outside in the back garden overnight. Uh, you might have the NSPCC round, but you'd also have a seriously damaged kid. And it's the same with plants. You know, they need a bit of acclimatizing and to be a little bit older and tougher. Do you find it frustrating? Um, I mean, you've just explained how you send out and then you you follow it up. You know, you're, you're sending plants out in the middle of May and then you follow it up with advice. But do you find it frustrating that when you go to a garden centre say even now or a couple of weeks ago and it's full of tomato plants and courgettes peppers and I mean it, it I, I sort of half of it grates a bit because people don't understand do they I think sometimes you go to a garden center and they've got massive really clear labels up reminding people mm. not to buy them unless they've got a suitable place to put them and they usually then specify I mean not down to the nearest degree but you know that it needs to be a greenhouse or somewhere with a bit of heat or really sunny windowsills but very often you don't see that and that really breaks my heart because not just because it's a waste of a plant if it dies but also because it it's going to knock people's enthusiasm on the head if they buy something they spend the hard-earned cash on it they take it home and then it dies and you know, that is more than infuriating. And what do they then do? Well, I worry that they then do. They give up on gardening and they go back and watch television. Yeah. You know, that's not what we want. We want them out there. So I think it's really important to either be so clear on your advice. And, and you know, I remember one year with my veg thing on the website, I actually had a really, really angry customer who shall remain nameless, who emailed me and really tore me down a strip for the fact that we hadn't sent the plants out. And it was late February. We were talking things like tomatoes and cucumbers and sweet corn and all the classic summer veg plants. And yeah. 
I, I wrote, I, well, I didn't write back instantly because I was so cross when I saw it. And it was a very unpleasant email that I actually waited until after I'd eaten my supper and maybe had a glass of wine and calmed down a bit. And I thought, right, just do this in a reasoned, logical way. And I explained what would have happened. And it was really funny because while I was eating supper, we actually had some snow. And I thought that kind of illustrates it. And yeah, it does disappoint me, really. It really is. And, I, you know, it, it, it is frustrating to see because not enough um, education is a, is a horrible word to use, but possibly good sound advice is often not freely available uh, to people who are buying the plants. As you say, they're all there ready to go, but then the weather is not. I mean, what would you be doing at this time of the year, Pepper? I know we got variation from, say, Cornwall all the way up to Scotland in the UK, but I mean, it's a lot colder at the moment in Scotland. We've got snow showers in Scotland and slightly warmer temperatures in the south with rain, haven't we? I know it's completely mixed up and, and unpredictable as well. But I think certainly I would have people starting to sow certain seeds. Uh, so when I say certain seeds, that's a bit sort of a random comment, isn't it? But things like uh, sweet corn, courgettes, beans, a lot of those can be sown not direct into the garden, I would suggest, but into things like root trainers or cells or individual pots, depending on, obviously, depending on the size of the pot and how many you want. Um, and I would also definitely say worth getting any potatoes you've still got skulking around into the ground and just keeping an eye on them. Because, of course, if, you plant, if you're planting out your potatoes, what you've got to watch for is when they start to produce growth because you don't want that being hit by the frost. So That's it's right. really important to watch out for it earth them up after you've planted them and then continue to earth them up. So that's just pulling soil from between the rows up to cover any emerging bits of potato greenery as soon as it appears. And, and I think particularly if you've not gardened before, don't you think that, that really goes against the grain to be burying something alive? You'd never yeah. do that with most plants. What could people be actually sowing direct? I mean, there are a few things that we can do at this time of the year, aren't there? Salad leaves. And they're in a, a small area. Uh, there's an element of I know that if it suddenly gets really cold or really wet, mm. I'll, I'll lose some of those or maybe even lose all of them. But then if you look at the number of seeds in something like a packet of lettuce, you know, if you sowed them all in one go, you can virtually <laughs> not quite acres. But even whatever you did, you could probably die of lettuce poisoning. So the answer is you don't sow them all in one go, do you? You just sow small quantities at really frequent intervals. And that way, if you get the odd climate disaster and suddenly everything freezes solid or there's really heavy rain, it, it doesn't matter because you've got another lot that you sowed a week before that's slightly different and you've got some that you sowed the week after. And, and I think getting people to, if you're sowing seeds, so successionally in the small quantities is, is so important and you know think about other things to do like covering the soil with um something like pull out easy tunnels they're absolutely brilliant they're covered in in clear polythene well you can get them in with various materials over them but if you cover the row with one of those you're going to keep in a bit of warmth you're going to keep off excess rain if it's suddenly hammering down with rain and you know if you're like me and you garden on a heavy clay soil it gets very wet when it rains and yeah. if you've covered it a bit before you sow it means that you can sow when perhaps somebody who hadn't covered it can't do and uh you know they're really great because it's a sort of series of, of galvanized metal hoops covered in either fine micro mesh 
for later in the year when you're keeping pests off or covered in in clear polythene or green netting to give either in this case it was a polythene it'll give us to say weather protection but later on you can use them against pests and then they're easy to take off the row and pop back down again when you've done your weeding or your harvesting so there is and what we've talked about here is succession, which means that succession of plant of sowing and or planting is so important that, you know, if you look at the next, say, four weeks or so, you would actually keep sowing. And if something was unsuccessful, it wouldn't matter because you were going to sow the next week, couldn't you? Exactly. And you've not wasted a whole packet of seeds because you yeah. never would have wanted to sell them all sow them all in one go anyway and yes you've always got you've got chances behind you and chances in front of you and all for the pipe you know price of a few pounds and i think that's i think that's so important just to sort of relax about it and and with many crops you can do that or sow them in things like cells and things like root trainers and give them a bit of protection and then you can harden them off and pop them out when the weather's become a little bit more uh, reliable Shall we say? Isn't that a lovely expression, hardening it off, because people actually don't always understand what we're talking about. Now, you could have done that on the windowsill. You could be growing them on the windowsill if you haven't got protection at all outside, couldn't you? Yes, you, you certainly could do. And I think a lot of people obviously haven't got space in the garden for a greenhouse or they've got to have something else in their garden mm. instead. You might have a porch with plenty of glazing on it. You might have a good sunny windowsill. And as long as it's not going to suffer from too many ups and downs in temperature and it's not going to be used as a seating place for the cat or the dog or anybody else. Um, it can be a really good growing space. And, and once you've got the seedlings up and germinated or once you've got the seeds germinated and you've got little seedlings, you can keep them there and grow them on a bit. And if you put a, I always recommend putting some tinfoil along the, um, the windowsill and mm -hmm. then a, a cardboard flap, if you like, between the house and the seed trays, which you also cover in tin foil so that you get plenty of reflected light. And that way you get less problems with them being leggy because you've got light coming in from the window side and you've also got the light, that light being reflected back in the other direction. And if you combine that with occasional brushing of the seedlings with an old postcard from Auntie Nora, whoever it may be from, just gently across the top, looks absolutely barking mad to anybody watching you but what you're doing is you're slightly bashing but very gently those seedlings and it's the, the equivalent of air movement really yeah and uh, it toughens up the stems a bit and helps them to keep good and stocky rather than becoming leggy and and easily damaged then if you've got cold nights um you could and warm days you could then put some of these seedlings out in a sh very sheltered corner couldn't you just to what we said, harden them off slowly. Yes, just gradually acclimatise them to the outdoor conditions, but make sure that if it is a chillier or windier day, that you don't do it. Um, and that you make sure that you set an alarm on your phone or your alarm clock, whatever it might be. So there's no chance of leaving them out any longer than you should. And then gradually you can leave them out a bit longer with maybe a bit of fleece over the top. And then they can go out in the garden when things are a bit tougher. Now, we talk mainly vegetables, Pippa, but um, flowers are really in, in the same, particularly annuals, are in the same vein as a vegetable, aren't they? Yeah, I, think, I, I always think it's really important just to explain the really basic categories of, of seeds to people. 
because so often I've seen people in garden centres and sometimes I've had to go and interfere and tell them what to do because you see people buying a scary mix of things. And if you don't realise that basically there's two sorts, aren't there? There's hardy annuals. So those are plants which are, as the name says, hardy annual means they come up and go down and die in one year, but they do a gorgeous display meanwhile. And those can be sown direct into the garden soil. And most of them really prefer that. So whether you're sowing those, well, you could be sowing those now and maybe into May, uh, depending on exactly what they are, but they can be sown direct. Whereas those that are half hardy annual, which is sometimes abbreviated to HHA on the seed packets, they need a little bit more protection. And so most of those are things that I would choose certainly to grow in a seed tray or again in, in root trainers or something similar usually with a bit of heat as well, so in a in a propagator, mm. and toughen them up, harden them out, and then get them out into the garden. So do, you know, spend a little little bit of time when you're buying seeds, whether you're buying them online from a, a reputable seed company or whether you're buying them in your local garden centre, just to check that you've got the equipment and the know-how to deal with the type that they are. And you, you know, you can produce some gorgeous displays, can't you, with, with hardy annuals? No, I mean, you know, to brighten up gardens with, you know, patio plants, etc. I mean, it really is a joy, isn't it? And, um, you know, you can have your veg patch and your veg trugs, but a bit of colour really makes the garden come to life, doesn't it? Oh, it is. I, I think absolutely lovely. And of course, you know, there's more and more interest from people, isn't there now, on, about things like pollinating insects and beneficial mm. insects so not just the pollinators but things like um lacewings and hoverflies whose young stages are also fabulous predators of things that we're not so keen on in the garden like the aphids the green fly and the black fly and a lot of those love many of the commonly grown and very easy to grow hardy annuals and those are gorgeous splashes of color with the added benefit of beneficial insects well, Pippa, you know, um, we've had a lovely chat, you know, about vegetables and we've touched on flowers. And if we if we catch up again in another month, what will be interesting to talk about will be what's happened during that month. We've been giving advice on uh, growing, you know, week on week, you know, sowing, sorry, week on week, being careful, watching the weather, all the things that are so important. But it will be interesting to look back and say, well, actually, what happened? It snowed. It didn't do this or it was frosty or it was lovely and warm, won't it be? Yep. And there's no knowing. I've certainly got no ability to predict. And I think, although some of the weather forecasts are pretty good, I think at this time of year, there's a fair degree of uncertainty. We had a really heavy hailstorm today. And uh, we also had some really warm weather just a couple of days ago. And I think it, you know, it throws everything. It throws the plants. It throws me. It throws you, I'm sure, as well. And it throws, it also throws some of the pests. But having said that, one thing I think at this time of year, it's really important to remember is that slugs are very much about, if you're sowing seeds or planting out young tender plants, you're planting out a five-star meal. And uh, it's really well worthwhile indulging in a little bit of slug control. Now, I'm not a fan and have never been a fan of, of the dreaded slug pellets and so forth, but you can use something like the nematode control, which is yeah. absolutely brilliant. I remember when it was first brought onto the market after researchers had realized that 
there was lurking out there a naturally um, occurring disease of slugs which could be introduced into them using nematodes and that meant that it was perfectly healthy for other garden wildlife perfectly healthy for your cat and dog and even perfectly okay for humans so really really safe really green and incredibly effective and it's absolutely brilliant stuff and you can use it now and the great thing is if you put it on the soil now soil's good and moist keep the soil moist the tiny little nematodes swim through the soil kill off your slugs for you and at this time of year they're starting to think about breeding so you're knocking them on the head before they can make you even more trouble and uh, it's it's something i would recommend to anyone because it's so safe it's so effective and uh, yes it's, it's one of the most popular products i'd say on my website is the slug control now you've just uh, just on that if people have snails as well it's the same nematode isn't it well, the problem is that the nematode, because it's a like a microscopic worm-like critter, lives in or and gets applied to the soil and moves through the soil moisture. And most of the worst, most irritating, most damaging to our gardens, slugs, spend most of their time underground. So it works yeah. brilliantly for them. Whereas if you're a snail, you tend to be on the surface. Mm. So there will be a little bit of an effect on some snails, but, but generally speaking, nothing like it is for slugs. So I would only recommend it for use against slugs. But I personally find them harder because they have this, as I say, with something like the keel slug, you know, they spend about 80% oh. of each day underground. And so you, you can't easily get to them. So it's perfect to apply slug to them. Whereas a snail, I hate to say it, but you can spot them more easily. So it's easier to do something about them anyway. Yep, that's true. Now, you mentioned your uh, website there, Pippa. So how could people check up on what's available through your website? Really easy because it's my name. <laughs> so it's www.pippagreenwood, and that's Pippa with two P's, dot com. And uh, I recently had it updated, actually, and it's got uh, various sections on it. So there's a bit of a blog, but I haven't done one for a while because I've been a bit busy. And um, there's also sales areas with all sorts of things like lots of biological controls, because I think they're really the way forward for controlling pests in your garden. So whether you've got vine weevils or slugs or carrot fly or chafer grubs or leather jackets or ants or whatever the problem might be, scale insects, I've got a nematode for you on the website. And also things like ladybirds, because you can actually now get two spot ladybirds. And so the native ladybird. Uh, or its larvae, which you can introduce into your garden. And again, we send those out with a little snack pack to keep them going in the post. And it helps to bulk up the natural population of ladybirds in your garden and doesn't interfere with them at all. So we've got things like that. And I've got all these things like the easy tunnels and the seedling tunnels to cover your seedlings with and growing frames. And most importantly is my, my personal baby, the Grow Your Own with Pippa Greenwood, which is the veg system where... I mentioned earlier, we've got a lovely grower, especially grows them for me up in Lincolnshire. They're now being grown totally peat free as well. Yeah. And um, those you can choose which veg you'd like to grow. And we've got a lovely selection. They're all very delicious, hand uh, hand chosen and eaten by me in, over the past few years. And we, we send those out, as I say, mid-May or thereabouts and accompanied by weekly advice and comments. And it's, it's very honest, too, because... I always feel that 
people need to know if things aren't going well for me. So if their butternut squash look like they'd belong in a doll's house because they're so tiny, I will have already told them that mine are looking like a doll's house side butternut squash. So that you as the gardener, and particularly if you're new, new to growing veg, know that it's not you, it's how it is. And then, you know, it's worth trying again another time. Pippa, thank you very much for our little our chat today. And um, if we can if we can catch up in a in, in a month's time, that will be rather fun because then we can, as I said earlier, we'll see how the world has progressed in those weeks uh, yes. and see how the plants have progressed as well. Exactly, and let's. I'm sure we can compare notes and our successes and our tragedies. <laughs> but yes, I think it's it's the time of year when one thing you always have to have at hand. Is some fleece and a few cloches and then everything's a bit easier thanks very much indeed pippa all right thank you very much lovely talking to you ken <laughs>